Hello, and welcome to Your Next Career Step, a podcast from the Alumni UBC Career Education Program. I'm Nicole Yeasting. As we wrap up this mini-series, we will end by exploring how career paths can be forged by paying attention to possibilities. Does fear distract or disrupt our attention to possibility? How can we stay in a learner's mindset beyond the academic degree? And what are we paying attention to and how might that enhance or limit our sense of possibility? In today's episode, I talk to Dr. Kari Markin and learn how she has helped others pay attention to possibilities. Kari is a lecturer at the Sauter School of Business at UBC. She holds a PhD in Curriculum Studies from the UBC Faculty of Education. Her research focuses on imagination and storytelling in teaching and learning. Kari has a background as an instructor at various Vancouver post-secondary institutions, a teacher in the K-12 system across Canada and internationally, a service learning educator, and most recently as an educational designer at the UBC Centre for Student Involvement in Careers. Join us to learn how we can pay attention to your own possibilities and how it may broaden your perspectives as you start your career. Kari, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. So for the past three months, we have taken our listeners through a series of topics to help them with their career journey. We started with the topic of adapting to change, and now we are excited to talk to you as we end our mini series on the important topic of paying attention to possibilities. And, you know, it's no doubt that the impacts of the pandemic are being felt, especially by our new graduates as they enter a very uncertain job market. And for some, our lives have altered drastically, or we are navigating situations that we have never experienced before. So Kari, let me ask you, can any good come from all of this? That's a, that's a great question. Um, I think we need to be careful in answering that, or I need to be careful in answering that, that nothing gets sugar-coated, because it is a really extraordinarily difficult time for, for so many people. Uh, but when I try to tap into a sense of, you know, possibility or, or hopefulness in this time, I tend to shift into thinking about, you know, the greater systems of the world and how they're being upended and how it's happening so quickly. And in one sense, in a really scary and and negative way, but in another sense, uh, there are stories we've told in society about the way things have to be done for so many years. And it's amazing how quickly people have gotten very imaginative and very creative and changed the way things are done within a matter of weeks. So if we had said, even in higher education a couple of years ago or a couple of, you know, six months ago, all faculty members will be exploring the possibilities for digital and online learning, I, as somebody who studies higher education and teaching and learning in the higher education context, would have just laughed and said that will never happen. And within a matter of weeks, it happened. And there's some difficult things about the the shift to everything being online in higher education, but there's also some really interesting ways that this, this story of what can and cannot happen in higher education where it was upended within a, ma- with a matter of days. I think the hopefulness or the good that can come out of this is we just have to re- remember that so many of these systems and structures that we've built that create the rules that we follow are 
many of them are invented <laughs> and created and products of our human imagination. And we um, have changed them very quickly. And we can no longer, you know, sit idly by and just say, that's just the way that it's done. Because I think we've been shown that uh, th th that doesn't really mean anything anymore. So that's where, I, yeah, that's where I go for the, for the hope or, or the good and to be thinking about career and, and entering new workplaces at a time when everything's being questioned and everything's being uh, reevaluated could be a very interesting time to be entering a workplace. Yeah, very much so. The theme for today is really about paying attention to possibilities and in a practical sense, what does possibility look like, sound like, and feel like to you? I think about possibility as the manifestation in our day-to-day -day life of, of what I think of as just radical curiosity. So possibility mm -hmm. is the product of almost having an out-of-body of experience of being so curious about the things that are around us that we see, we, we see pathways or... Um, spaces that we could explore because we've just given our full curiosity to a situation that we're in. So for me, it might sound odd, but for me, when I think about possibility, I almost think about losing myself in something as a way for possibility to emerge because it's very difficult for me to see the possibility in a given situation, um, in a, in a career context, in a relationship, in a, in a travel experience, if I'm mostly thinking about how the world perceives me. <laughs> so I try to just get very, mm -hmm. like I try to flip into this very curious mindset about the experience that I'm in. And then I start to see possibilities within that experience for a question to ask or a, or a decision to make or an experience to seek. So that's, that's how I think of it in a mm -hmm. practical sense. I, I do, there is a caveat to that though, Nicole, which is I do have a particular frame of reference for how I can be in that mindset of curiosity and experiences and in systems and in places in that um, I'm, I'm white, I'm able-bodied, I'm privileged in many, many ways. And so I think that there is a way that I can, I'm afforded a kind of advantage of not having to be as hyper self-aware of how the world will receive me when I'm in that place mm -hmm. because I am, uh, yeah, because I'm moving in that place with many of the privileges that, mm -hmm. that our systems credit or give mm -hmm. advantage to. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I appreciate you bringing that forward. I think it's, you know, it's been on a lot of people's minds lately, just around the, the equality and around privilege as well. But I, I do want to go back to what you mentioned about um, radical curiosity. I love, I love that analogy of just losing yourself, immersing yourself in that, in that scenario. Um, and I love that. So thank you so much for sharing. Now, I also know that you recently graduated with a PhD from UBC, so congr big congratulations. Thank you. It's a yeah. wonderful achievement. Can you tell us more about your research and if there are any parallels to the theme of this podcast of paying attention to possibilities? Yeah. So one of the um, things that I am very curious about is the experience of being a teacher in society. So I uh, received my PhD from uh, the Faculty of Education in a, in a program called Curriculum Studies uh, and in a department curriculum and pedagogy that looks at both the what is being taught in schools, so the curriculum, and who is teaching and how they're teaching, which is pedagogy. So I studied the experience of 
faculty members in at UBC and then in high, looked at higher education more broadly and their identities as teachers primarily and in particular how they approach teaching first year students so the newest members of the academy kind of the our, our newest scholars in academia and there are many first year teach teachers or many faculty members who teach first year who really love teaching first year because students arriving in the academy in their first year are very um, open to possibility, uh, excited to be in the academy, uh, interacting with their experience from a place of um, experimentation and f- trying to figure out where they fit and where they belong. And so as a group, that classroom can just feed such energy to a faculty member and get them to kind of meet and learn their subject anew all over again. Mm-hmm. There are challenges to teaching first-year courses, but I really wanted to focus primarily on the stories of faculty who have a preference for teaching first-year. And so how I think that connects to this topic of, of possibility probably comes from the phrase I just used around, around a beginner's mindset and being in a mindset of, of always trying to learn, relearn, unlearn things that you kind of get complacent into thinking that you already know. Uh, and so in paying attention to possibility, I, I, I've wondered sometimes if that notion of possibility can be applied to things that are new, that we are entering a new career search, for example, if we think about the theme of this podcast, or a new relationship or a new community, we might be more open to possibility in those environments because everything is new and everything has that kind of um, sense of of uniqueness and appeal because we haven't experienced it before. Mm -hmm. But what I really loved about working with the faculty members who um, were participants in my research was that they were approaching that same sense of possibility and curiosity to things that to to their disciplinary studies that they had achieved, you know, world-class expertise in. (laughs) And so they, they were, inviting new scholars into their discipline in ways that had them re-entering into something that they were that they know so well but yet we're starting to see again from this mindset of what could be possible in something that they already know so well. Well that was going to be my next question. I know you mentioned you don't have an answer but do you have any tips or advice for our listeners who are trying to navigate, you know, paying attention to possibility when you're right, we're we're living, we're learning, we're working in our home environment. So how do we keep that beginner's or that learner's mindset open and apply it? Yeah, I have been thinking about that a lot lately because the graduated and convocated in the November convocation at UBC, like November 2019, and then I signed my most recent job contract in mid-February within weeks of everybody being sent home. And so my most recent experiences of an educational kind of a achievement and a job search were still in the pre-COVID world in a matter of weeks or months. If there's a way that people are interacting with each other in the Zoomiverse and in this um, current scenario that has a lot of humility and vulnerability and humanity in it, where we are now meeting people in their homes or we can assume that in some way they've been personally affected by what's happening in the world. And my, my hope is that then that takes a little bit of that performative veneer off the processes of searching for a job or meeting your profs for the first time or entering somebody's office for an office hours. If I think about the educational context, that there's a kind of collective 
humanity to this experience that we're in, that could be something to leverage in these scenarios that usually require a huge amount of performance. And that we can just assume that the person at the other end of that interview or the other end of that informational conversation that we reach out and ask somebody for is also maybe sitting in an awkward place and trying to make the best out of the scenario that they're in. And could that be a bit of a humanizing starting point that often in a workplace could take years to get to, or maybe doesn't happen at all? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. I think right now I'm squished in a very small two by two closet. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which is probably not normally Give how you'd have snapshot. a work day. <laughs> Up no, until now. Definitely not. <laughs> definitely not. <laughs> yeah. So then this becomes, as people that both now work, you know, we work at UBC, this now becomes like a, a story that we have, a moment that we've shared. So when we eventually yeah. do come back to campus, I'm going to feel like there's a connection that you and I have that wouldn't have been possible if our only interactions with each other had been in kind of the very formal meeting spaces of UBC campus. There is something to me that's really um, hopeful and has possibility in, in that. So speaking about hopeful, you know, there's a theory that was introduced in 1999 called Planned Happenstance by Mitchell, Levin, and Krumboltz. Are you familiar with it? Yes. Can you describe it to our listeners and and how it may or may not be associated with paying attention to possibility? Yeah. So my, my experience with that theory comes from my most recent role at the Center for Student Involvement and Careers, where I worked for many years and learned so much from, from my colleagues there in the career education world. There's a few concepts that are leading theories in career education, and one is, is planned happenstance. And mm-hmm. I'm not an expert in this, but my understanding is that it's a theory that frames how experiences or events in one's life by making yourself open to experiences and events and invitations into those things Mm -hmm. that in those moments might be that spark or that network or that connection or that moment that then if you track the trajectory of somebody's career journey has been the thing that has led them down a path so that career planning can take the form of serendipitous moments as well as planning and being very intentional about what's going to happen next in your career. So the idea being that you are open to experiences and opportunities and events and conversations in a planned way, knowing that within that could be a happenstance moment that mm-hmm. then sends you on a different trajectory. And I think it might be hard for some a lot of folks, and I think a lot of students or new graduates have their life kind of mapped out and it may not necessarily fall into place. So I think what you've mentioned about this serendipitous moments and kind of paying attention to that, so that will be, will be really helpful, I think, for some, even though it's, I would imagine, a lot easier said than done. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And I have seen, I've had a few experiences during this COVID time where I've joined events or online gatherings over Zoom that I normally wouldn't do. And Mm -hmm. not because I would not want to, it's just when you're trying to get from point A to point B in a busy life, sometimes to get dressed up and drive downtown or get on a bus and get get somewhere to, to serendipitously go to an event actually requires so much planning that it is a barrier. Whereas there's been a mm-hmm. lower entry with some Zoom gatherings where mm-hmm. I can attend classes or events or conferences or gatherings. Many conferences are being offered for free. That would normally require you to get on a plane, fly somewhere, pay an exorbitant registration fee. Um, many of those, many organizations are offering free conferences online and they mm-hmm. still have the look and feel of breakout discussions and social gatherings attached to them. And there's a bit of a lower barrier of attendance 
And also then that ability to meet people in this humanizing time, where I've found there to be some opportunities in this time that didn't actually offer themselves outside, like previous to COVID and, and um, had a bit more elitism or you have to be a member of this group to attend this thing. There's been a bit of a democratization of attendance at things that has been, I think, mm-hmm. very exciting and something that I would definitely encourage new graduates to, to take advantage of. Excellent point. I want to dive a bit deeper into something and around this concept of fear. Yeah. With the example that you use, you know, going into in-person conferences, there could be a fear of introducing yourself or talking to people, but having it more in a virtual capacity might break down those barriers, et cetera. But can fear distract or even disrupt our attention to pay attention to possibilities? Definitely. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> you want to elaborate? Yeah, I'll, I'll elaborate with a with a with an analogy. So one of the roles I've had in my career has been working in theater. And mm-hmm. I was a high school drama teacher. I've directed theater events. I'm just love theaters and, and what happens in a, in a theater. And there's something that happens when you put someone on a stage where fear can overtake them. So the fear of public speaking is in many surveys, uh, the number one fear that a human has above it's you number it often ranks number one over death is the fear of public speaking. Mm. I've seen it very close hand when I've had to work with folks who are going on a stage and performing in front of hundreds or thousands, and they are going to have it literally a spotlight on them as they do something in a theater on a stage. And fear can be incredibly debilitating in that process. And I have come to believe that that fear also applies to um, that moment when we're in a new scenario and we don't know the people in the room and we're asked to per- to say something. It is a it's a fear of public speaking, whether that group has five people in it or five thousand people in it. There's a spotlight; it's on us, and then there's a weight to what we say and what we do in that moment. So, something that mm-hmm. I have coached actors and speakers on is that the purpose of that moment is only 1% about you and what you're saying on the stage. And it's 99% about who's hearing you and the listener. One way to transcend that fear in that moment and be open to possibility and curious about where you're at and seeing the possibilities is to get really, really interested in the other people in the room (laughs) and the people that are receiving the thing that you're going to say. Really great trick for that. A great trick for in the smaller scale social context is to start with posing questions to people or to bring people into a question that you're mulling over in your head. So if it's a, you know, if you're attending a conference and ask to introduce yourself, it could be beyond saying your name and and whatever the prompt is from the host. It could say, in joining this conference or in joining this event, I'm hoping to find some answers to a question that has I've been thinking about a lot along the theme of this experience, which is blah, 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 and invite people into a question that's mulling around in your head. Because I think where the fear comes from is our belief in that moment that we need to be positioning ourselves as all-knowing, our entire identity and brand as a human needs to be presented in that moment. And then we create this really, really strong pressure on ourselves to be performing when really what we're trying to do in that moment is be heard, be seen, but also be attentive and attuned to the other people in the space. So questions are a really great tool to combat fear. We'll be right back. This episode of Your Next Career Step is supported by the BMO Alumni UBC MasterCard. Reward yourself and support valuable programs and services for the global alumni community every time you use your BMO Alumni UBC MasterCard. Find out more at alumni.ubc.ca slash BMO. 
So you brought up job interviews, and I think over the years, the two of us have maybe coached, worked, and advised hundreds of students about their careers. And I think, like me, I'm sure you've witnessed individuals who've just prepared so well for their application, their interview. The individual left feeling so confident that they got the job ended up being crushed because they weren't selected. How would you coach someone to explore the possibilities of about their next step? I think that the first thing I would advise would be to take the time needed to be able to genuinely hear the reasons why they didn't get the job in a follow-up request for feedback from the interviewer. Mm -hmm. That is a difficult but incredibly useful thing to do in a job search is to find out the reasons why. That's a really good advice. And that's a wonderful way just to explore the possibility. It may not might not come right away, but digesting it and coming to your own terms at your own time is is a, is a way to keep that open mindset. Yeah. I also want to debunk something for a moment. Sure. Some individuals, when they're nearing the end of university or when they have just graduated, think that their first job at a university defines their career. What are your thoughts on that? I totally disagree with that. Mm-hmm. I think it is. I think I think careers are never fully defined. Yeah, I think we're learning that in the last <laughs> few <laughs> months. But I've always thought that the root word of career is curere, which is also the root word of curriculum, which oh. is and it means the course through life or or journey through life or movement through life. If you think about a career in that way, then you're you're moving through a series of experiences and learnings that then build on each other. So most people would say now in 2020 that your first job or your first experience of a of being in a workplace in a career mindset is not meant to be the defining experience. It's meant to be part of something that is a stop on the journey. And so one way that yeah. I have thought about this is that the job title is less important or one way to approach this that could kind of take the pressure off is to think less about the job title and the status of that job title within an organization, because that is a very um, highly individualized kind of personal achievement way of thinking about a role and think more about what the job you're doing actually has you experiencing and doing all day. A personal example of that is I knew very early on in my career that no matter what I did, I wanted to work with groups. I wanted to be, I wanted my workday to be in groups of people. And I didn't have any career theories when I was sort of 19 and thinking about this, but I did know that any job I was going to apply for had to be in groups of people. And so that took me down the path of waitressing, bartending, um, working in summer camps. I even worked in a plastics factory for a while because there was on assembly lines, you're around people a lot. What I learned very quickly is you're not talking to them very much, but I was very curious about uh, any, my, my condition for applying for any job was about social connection. And was this going to be a job that had me working in collaboratively with groups of people? It was through various experiences of that, that I started to think about teaching and teaching as a, as a career and then received my teaching degree and was, went into high school teaching originally. That was far more important to me was the walking through in my mind of what I'd be doing every day, who and how I'd be doing it with. That was my main motivator versus what the title was and the status within the organization. Your first job will very likely not get you the highest status title in an organization. And the drive can be to get to that as quickly as possible. But there's so much lost along the way if that is the sole driver. Because 
then you're losing the actual, the plant happenstance, the attention to possibility of what, of what it is that you're actually doing all day and what the, what you can notice about what you're doing all day that you're interested in or that you're Mm -hmm. drawn to that may take you in a completely different direction Mm -hmm. than the position that you thought that you wanted. Well, it sounds like in your career, you've certainly been able to maximize the learning that's been around you, but also to increase your self-awareness to eventually to, to get to this stage of where you are. And I think you'll be You'll be teaching students, while it may not be in person, but virtually, nonetheless, this fall. So if you're looking back at your journey and that drive, you got there. And I think you're right that the first job out of university certainly doesn't define you. No, but the the first job out of university can also be so memorable Yeah. in what you, there's just, there's so many stories and memories in that first job, Totally. whether it's a really negative experience, a really positive experience, kind of a blah experience, (laughs) but there's just, it, there's an imprint that it makes. What was your most memorable experience? My first jobs were, were waitressing and working in coffee shops in Saskatchewan in the nineties. Customer service. I learned so much, so much about teaching and education and everything that I do now as my career by working in restaurants and working in coffee shops because they have so many of the same elements of balancing the needs and navigating the hopes and dreams and demands of a group and everybody wanting different things and everybody needing something from you often all at the same time because there's this weird thing that happens in restaurants and coffee shops where everybody arrives at once and is starving and hungry at once. (laughs) Yeah. Um, You know, working with colleagues and in high paced ways where you have to make decisions really quickly. Yeah. uh, making a lot of mistakes and having to own those mistakes and compensate for them in some way by either making the order again or talking to your manager and getting a discount because you made a mistake. So having to own your mistakes in a really like high immediate feedback way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's so much in those first jobs. I've, I've said to my partner, like when I'm, when I'm older and retired down the road, like I actually want to go back to working the morning shift at a coffee shop as, as a job in my older years because I, I miss it. I love it. I have so many good memories from from that job. Certainly. I can certainly relate to that. You know, I want to go back to kind of the, this, the notion of paying attention to possibilities. And I think for some, I, th- I mentioned this before, but it could be easier said than done. And we may be well equipped to pay attention to possibilities, but for some, there's an inner critic that might get in the way. And you know, that that little birdie that just sits on your shoulder and tells you otherwise. How can we start to notice our inner monologue and the story we tell ourselves about ourselves? Yes. So that inner monologue is very powerful. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It can often be in direct conflict with the way that we're presenting. So we can be presenting very confidently, but there's this script going along in our head that's telling us very horrible things about ourselves. Yeah, um, We can be really, really hard on ourselves. Studies have shown that that can also be more common in high achieving populations. Mm-hmm. And so research intensive universities of which UBC is one tends to have community members who are very high achieving, partly because of how difficult it is to achieve and to even gain access and entry into these institutions. And so the inner critic can be very powerful. Mm -hmm. There's a few things to listen for uh, or pay attention to. One is when you're in scenarios where you are forming a really polished and uh, professional version of yourself. Once that experience is over, reflect not just on how you think other people perceived you, Mm -hmm. but also reflect on 
what you were saying to yourself in your own head during that experience. Were you telling yourself, oh, that was a stupid answer. Oh, you shouldn't, I shouldn't have said that. Oh, even just by taking a little bit of time to sit with yourself in what that internalized conversation is, is a way to surface it and start to work with it so that hopefully there becomes down the road a little bit more of a convergence of the outward presentation and the inward inward belief of oneself. So you're trying to listen for things like um, things in your head that are definitive statements about yourself that don't allow for a lot of possibility for change. So that was a really dumb answer, or you don't know what you're doing, or things that are kind of very identity forming negative beliefs. Mm -hmm. But you also want to listen to things that are over the top uh, positive, like I'm the smartest person in this room, I'm better than everyone here, like things that also position you as being really amazing. Because then if your experience of, let's say it's a job interview again, of not getting the job, then if you've told yourself you're clearly the best candidate and you're the smartest person in the room and nobody else can ever be as great as you, then when you don't get the experience, it becomes this identity disaster versus just having an inner monologue that is that is um, humble yet kind towards yourself. So our last question for you today, do you have a final message you'd like to share to the graduating class of 2020 and how they should pay attention to possibility? My final message would be one of encouragement around how much we need new graduates right now in careers and in the workplace to continue to be asking questions about how things can be done differently, bringing forward you know, demands in many workplaces for change and shifts in how things are done and ways to make workplaces more, more human, more creative, more innovative. And I think that there is a way that new graduates just infuse energy into a workplace that is needed now more than ever and enter into these job search processes, knowing that there is a real need for that perspective. And that might be hard to remember or feel sometimes because it might feel like opportunities have shrunk or there's increased isolation. But if you're in a position where you have a choice of places or spaces to work in, lean towards the ones where you feel like you have the most opportunity to be builders and makers of the culture and the communities that you are joining, because we really, really need everything that you're bringing. Well, Kari, thank you so much. It's been absolutely wonderful speaking with you, learning more about your experience and more importantly, about how we can all just continue to pay attention to possibility. So thank you again so much. um, And we really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us. Thank you, Nicole. You have a wonderful day. Your next career step is a production of Alumni UBC's Career Education Program. Thank you to our host, Nicole Yeasting, and to our guest, Kari Markin. Thank you to everyone involved with creating this podcast and our affinity sponsors, TD Insurance, BMO Alumni UBC MasterCard, and Manulife Financial. As this is our last episode in our podcast miniseries, we want to extend a big thank you especially to Jenna McCann, Brian Short, Mike Almack, Pam Yen, and Daniel Flan. And of course, to you, our audience. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you again soon.